This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. One of my favorite kinds of audiobooks to listen to during the summer months are juicy biographies. So when I heard there's a new look at Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis out this summer, I knew I had to download it. What better book to listen to while you're sitting by the pool or on the beach? Jackie, Public Private Secret by J. Randy Tara Borelli and read by Jane Oppenheimer is based on hundreds of interviews over a 30-year period, as well as previously unreleased material from the JFK Library. And it paints an unforgettable new portrait of this iconic woman. Fans of the author's New York Times bestseller, Jackie, Janet, and Lee, will love listening to this fresh, often startling look at the legendary former first lady. Start listening to Jackie, Public Private Secret by J. Randy Tara Borelli now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara Popinski, and today Jane Roper is here to discuss the Society of Shame, a timely and witty combination of So You've Been Publicly Shamed and Where'd You Go, Bernadette, that's both a satire of social media stardom and internet activism and a tender mother-daughter tale. Jane Roper is the author of two previous books, a memoir, Double Time, and a novel, Eden Lake. Her short fiction essays and humor have appeared in publications including McSweeney's, The Millions, The Rumpus, and more. Jane is a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop and lives in the Boston area with her husband and two children. Jane, thanks so much for being here. I thought the Society of Shame was hilarious and just had the best spot-on observations. I I adored it. So um, I'm really excited to get to chat more about it today. Thank you so much. I um, really am glad to be here with you. Yes. So this was one of those books where, because it's so like of this crazy time we live in with social media and fame. And um, I just wondered because the publishing process is so long, it still felt so timely. I just wondered when did you start writing this kind of what was the inspiration and was it hard um, kind of to come up with something that would feel very current, but um you know, you have to write it a couple of years before it comes out. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, social media and internet culture and popular culture and the news are, yeah, very central to telling the story of the main character's, you know, meteoric rise to fame. Um, she becomes this internet celebrity after a photo goes viral of her with a period stain on the back of her pants, um, taken shortly after she discovers that her Senate candidate husband is cheating on her. So yes, it, it, um, I started writing it in 2019, um, or maybe late 2018. And I remember thinking at the time, like, Oh, I have to write this quickly because it's not going to be relevant anymore. And it's very of the moment. Um, but it it kept being of the moment, you know, because I think <laughs> we're so deeply entrenched in this phase of, um, I don't know, internet insanity and sort of political and um, social upheaval. And I don't know if it's going to change. So by the time the book came out this spring, um, I mean, you're right. I, it, the book only took me a little over like a year and a half to write, which is very fast for me. Um, but then it was another two years, basically, until it came out. And um, there were things that I needed to change along the way to keep it relevant. For example, a lot uh, in that period of time between when I started it and when it was published, TikTok really rose to prominence. And that it, it was barely 
they, on the radar when I started it, at least not mainstream. So I had to make changes, for example, you know, a lot of things that I initially had happening on YouTube or Instagram, I had to change to TikTok. So that, and that's just one mm. example of little adjustments I had to make along the way. Yeah, it's, it's such a fun read, but also just gets you thinking about, I like how you put it, our sort of the insanity of our internet culture. And um, I, you know, it was interesting to kind of walk in a character's shoes who does go viral. And I'd love for you to talk about the actual society of shame in the book, because I thought that was such an interesting concept of sort of meeting these people that have become notorious for different reasons online <laughs> and what would that mean for your life? And it's funny, but also really gets you thinking about sort of the way we kind of ruin people's lives online and then kind of cast them away. And sometimes it seems warranted and sometimes not. And yeah. um, it's, it's complex. So I'd love to hear about that society. Yeah. So what happens is, um, it, you know, after Kathleen becomes famous, internet famous, and she becomes sort of the figurehead for this movement um, called hashtag Yes We Bleed to destigmatize menstruation, she um, she she's mortified. This is she does not want to be in the spotlight. She intercepts an invitation meant for her husband um, because of his own scandal. Uh, to something called the Society of Shame, led by this uh, disgraced best-selling author. And <clears throat> like you said, it's a group of people who have all been disgraced or humiliated or made, you know, made internet famous in some way, good or bad, mostly bad, um, who are trying to move on with their lives. And uh, the, the author, Danica, is trying to help them figure out how to do this. She has a, a soul system, a whole program for them. But I wanted to show a range of types of offenses, if you will, ranging from some sort of innocent stuff. Like there's a woman who becomes, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a woman who becomes a gif, you know, because she's um, caught on camera sort of yelling at her child in the grocery store. And then a whole bunch of cereal boxes fall on her. And ranging from that to a woman who calls the police on a utility worker who's black, who's, you know, she thinks he's trying to break into her house. So there's the range. And like you said, I wanted to explore, um, I don't know, what happens to folks after they've been shamed online? Um, do they change? Do they dig in? Do they, and it, a lot of times because of the, there's a real lack of nuance when it comes to how people are treated in on online. It's very all, so often the case. It's like they're good or they're bad, yes or no. Um, whereas a lot of these situations are much more complicated than they may seem. So I wanted to hold a mirror up to that, and yeah, like you said, get people thinking about um, what happens to these folks, and and are we, you know, are we approaching this in the best way? Are the consequences that people face commensurate with what they've done, or sometimes are they out of proportion? Right. And, you know, along with that, there's so many layers to it that you sort of um, skewer in a way, which I, I enjoyed reading. But um, one that got me thinking a lot was just the whole idea of internet activism was just a really interesting thing to see play out on the pages. And there's also Kathleen's role in that, but her daughter as well. And I thought that dynamic was really interesting as they both sort of get 
involved in this movement for different reasons. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the internet activism side of things in the book? Yeah, so the the movement that gets created, hashtag Yes We Bleed, sort of sweeps the country and sweeps the, the globe. And um, as is the case with many on you know internet movements and internet activism, it it's powerful and it it brings a lot of people in, but inevitably it also sparks um, splinter movements. It sparks infighting among the people who are doing it. It sparks um, some silliness too, right? Where people kind of take it to the ridiculous extremes um, where it's almost like the core message and the core purpose gets lost because everyone's so caught up in, um, you know, wearing funny hats or, you know, buying merchandise and it gets corp, you know, there's a whole thing where it gets corporatized where corporations are coming up with their own um, swag. Yes, we bleed <laughs> swag. Um, and so I wanted to explore all those different angles, but also, yeah, like you said, Kathleen's daughter, Aggie, who is 12 years old, is very earnest. And she and her friends really take this movement seriously. Uh, and whereas her her involvement is very pure and actually much more focused in real life than online, um, Kathleen's is a little more, uh, she's sort of a reluctant spokesperson for this cause. Uh, and she gets swept into some of that craziness and uh, of it. Um, whereas, whereas Aggie's involvement is, is more pure in a way, and but it also runs up against some folks who are spinning it out from its core purpose to, you know, there's a scene where there's a big rally at her middle school, and half the kids there don't care; they're just there to get out of school and you know be outdoors and <laughs> toss footballs around. And um, so I wanted to explore all those different versions of activism, but also, you know, poke a little fun at the folks who feel like, oh, I'm if I'm retweeting something, I'm an activist, or if I'm acting outraged about something, I'm an activist. It's like, well, you know, you have to do a little more than that. Right, right. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's so relevant for our, our time. And, you know, I was wondering too, so the Kathleen is a writer. She's kind of trying to, as the book goes, goes along, maybe think about getting back to writing, um, and that's not where her public persona comes from, but it made me think a little bit about as an author, you know, you have to be putting yourself out on social media as well and kind of having a public persona. Was that a little bit at the forefront of your mind as you were writing or, um, like, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, first, let me say, like, I know it's so pathetic for, you know, for a main character to be a writer. I feel like... <laughs> I think one of my we love those of, books though. I know. Well, I think one of my some professor or writer you said like you get one. You, you know, you only get one book where you have your main character be a writer. That's it. So I've used it up. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly, yes. I mean, it is this funny thing where, as writers, we are, you know, we do most of our work alone and very privately. But in this day and age, yes, you're expected to have a sort of a public persona as well, unless you're already really successful, in which case you can just kind of coast on, you know, your reputation. Um, but that was definitely, I, I was definitely thinking about that. Yes. And what happens, you know, as, as Kathleen's giving up, given opportunities to pursue her writing that she had abandoned, she has to think about or her publisher wants to her to think about how what she's doing in the public eye and what's happening on um on social media and what people think of her is going to affect the chances of her book 
Um, and certainly, you know, I mean, there are real life situations where where folks activity online or their opinions um, can really affect um, how how their books are perceived or how their writing is perceived. Um, certainly, we see that with folks like J.K. Rowling, for example, who's, you know, right. Um, problematic views have have really affect. I don't know that they've affected her sales, but they've certainly affected how people perceive her um, as right. her reputation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, i I want to talk a little bit about the writing process for this book, but I'm I'm curious in general, kind of before we get to that, maybe a little bit of your writing journey. I know it says you went to the Iowa Writers Workshop and you've written a couple of other books. When did you start writing and um, what has the journey been like toward becoming a published author? I started writing in my, I guess, mid-20s. I mean, not counting the writing I did as a child when I was writing little poetry books. And (laughs) um, (laughs) But uh, I started writing my mid twenties, and I really was drawn to literary fiction. I want, you know, I loved reading literary fiction and classics, and I had this vision of myself as writing these serious short stories. And I was submitting to literary magazines and everything. And I somehow got into the Iowa Writers Workshop, and uh, I continued to do that sort of writing. I really wasn't very good at short stories. I I, I really kind of stink at them. Um, <laughs> I started writing <laughs> a historical novel while I was there. Um, my first novel did not sell. And then I, I wrote a second novel that was a little lighter, a little more fun. That was Eden Lake. Um, that also did not sell. Well, I found a, a tiny little hybrid press to publish it. Uh, then I moved to write. I was blogging all along. And the funny thing that was happening was I wasn't having a lot of success with my fiction at the time, but I was doing well with nonfiction. And I was blogging about my kids, I, basically from the time I was pregnant, um, I started blogging and this was in the, the early heyday of, of mommy blogs and I gathered quite a following with that and I had so much fun writing those things. I was able to bring humor to them and, and honesty and vulnerability. I wrote a memoir, um, double time, same thing, and and was able to bring that voice in. But I hadn't figured out how to bring humor into my fiction. And that I, I wrote another novel and that one didn't sell. It was also very serious. So by the time I got to um by the time I got to this book, I it really was a oh screw it. I need to do something different. I need to have more fun. I need to figure out how to bring the authenticity and humor of my nonfiction voice into my fiction. And I need to do that by a sort of letting go of whatever pretensions I had or, you know, misplaced ambitions or, or feelings like I have to write serious fiction and B, I need to, do I say A or one? Okay. B slash <laughs> two. I, I have to just kind of just barrel through it and not give a crap. I put up a quote on my wall that says lighten up Francis, which is a quote that um, Anne Lamott suggests it's from the movie stripes, but um, Anne Lamott's like, this is a good quote for writers to put up on their walls. Just lighten up, like stop worrying <laughs> about, you know, what you should write or whether the literati are going to think of it, you know? I, so I just was like, Oh, screw it. I'm just going to have fun. And I had so much fun writing this book and Hey, what do you know? It got picked up by a major press. So that's the show. We have so much fun reading it. That's so interesting. Oh, thank you. you yeah. Know, well, how much that so. translates. I hope so. Yeah. Um, I'm curious too about the the books that you're saying you didn't sell because I always think Mm -hmm. it's interesting like 
that idea of when do you decide to put it in a drawer? I was talking to someone yesterday who, you know, had a couple in a drawer, but also like one, the one that had just come out, took like three rounds of queries and, you know, was so close to giving up, but then it published. Like, how did you decide when like, okay, this isn't working. I'm not going to keep trying with this one. I'm going to put it in a drawer. That's a good question. I mean, I think there is a point at which you've sort of exhausted all your opportunities. I, I mean, mm-hmm. and then, then the decision becomes, um, yeah, do I, do I put it aside for a while and then come back to it later? For me, I feel like those couple of drawer novels I have um, don't reflect who I am as a writer today. So I don't foresee going back to them. Um, but I, yeah, I think there's like a, I know with, with this book, I was pretty sure like, I'm not going to give up on this and, and I'm going to fight to make this, this book happen, no matter how, how hard it is. Unfortunately, it wasn't too hard um, to make it happen, but I don't know. I think there's, there's a bit of a gut feeling you have when you know um, this is worth, this is worth sticking to uh, versus, you know what, maybe this isn't the right book at the right time and and I'm going to let it go. But there is a grieving process. I remember after, you know, after my last book didn't sell, which I had worked on it for five years, and I had also poured a lot of very personal stuff into it, including our our daughter's journey with cancer. Um, that was hard. I had to, I had to, it almost felt like letting go of a relationship in a way. Um, not easy. Yeah, all and all that time. But I think that's really um, a good way of thinking about it, though. Like, does this reflect who you are as a writer now? And and, um, you know, do you have that gut feeling about it? I think that's kind of good advice. Was the, I know you're saying it wasn't um, too hard with this one. Were you, did you have to do a lot of revision? Were you sort of a pantser during this, kind of letting yourself be free and then had to go um, back and really shape things a lot? What was the process like? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely tend to be a, a pantser for at least the first 80 to 100 pages as I'm just sort of getting into a book and figuring out what the hell I'm doing. Then I, I tend to plan a little more and the plan changes as I go. But for this book, um, yes, I, I, I did need to go back um, after the sort of mad rush of writing it um, and give it a little more shape and make sure that it wasn't too episodic. I had to make sure it had more of an arc. And a lot of that was done by um, through character work, through um, sharpening um, some of the Kathleen's character, also amping up her relationship with her daughter and how that provides sort of a, a meta arc to the story as well. Um, and then I did do revisions. My agent, um, I actually have a new agent for for this book, and she helped me a lot with um, nothing, not like major structural revisions, but again, sort of just that shaping and, and molding and sharpening where it needed it. Um, and we did do one round of submissions that we didn't get any traction. So I went back and revised a bit more. And then in the next round, we, we got it. <laughs> we got the, got the offer. Um, and, and then again, you know, my editor again, helped, helped sharpen and mold things a little more. So it was an iterative process. Um, but I've de- definitely done revisions in the past with other projects that have had to be more, um, 
more uh, extreme, you know, more tear down and rebuild kind of stuff. I got lucky with this one. Well, you know, it's probably after just having so many books under your belt too, that it probably, yeah. you know, I think that's right. You start to internalize and, and know uh, more uh, how structure, how, how the structure needs to work and how the development needs to work. I think that's right. Did you have to do any kind of research for the book? I was thinking after, you know, did you talk to anybody who's been canceled on the internet or anything like that? I I know a couple of folks personally um, that this happened to, but it actually happened after <laughs> I'd written the book, but I was able to go back and find, fine tune a little, but I, a lot of it was just straight up observation of things that I see and witness online. I did read, um, John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which is mentioned in the in the book description. Um, and that was helpful in terms of understanding how how it affects people's lives on a more granular level. Um, I Yeah, the only other research I did was just little details here and there, right? You know, what would the time period be for this or what, what songs or um, cultural references would make sense given this person's age? Uh, I'm trying to think if there was anything else because the book, um, you know, public Kathleen works in publishing. I definitely had my agent and editor being like, well, that couldn't really happen. And that's not the way it works (laughs) (laughs) to some of it. I was like, okay, but we need to have a little suspension of disbelief here. This is fiction, (laughs) but I split the difference and be like, okay, fine. I'll call. For example, I had her being called um, a copy editor, Kathleen being called a copy editor, but I was, told, well, actually, she's a production editor, because a copy editor would be a freelancer, and they would do this, whereas a production editor would be more likely to be on staff at a publisher. So, you know, those little, those little, I don't know that the general public would have noticed or cared, but but they did. So that's fine. (laughs) You know, it's funny, I, you know, right after college, I uh, was an assistant production editor. And I did notice that, that she, I was like, Oh, that's what she's doing. Like, I, I get that. If You're right. If she had been a good copy editor, I would have been like, mm, but that doesn't make sense. Cause usually you just send that out to copy editors. Yes. And, right. Yep, so you would have noticed. Funny. Yeah. I would have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, glad I, I'm glad I changed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you mentioned the <clears throat> relationship between Kathleen and um, Aggie, her daughter. And I really loved that sort of layer of the story. And I know because you have your memoir, like you've written about your own kids before. Did you sort of tap into your own relationship with your kids or how did you, because that just felt so relatable and authentic. And I just kind of wondered how you got there. Well, thank you. Yeah, I I certainly drew on um, what it's like to have teen or my my kids are 16 now um but you know they were younger obviously when I was working on the book and there is that very tender time of 12 13 years old and so I was able to definitely draw on some of the dynamics that I've had or and have with my own kids I also um took inspiration I Aggie's not I wouldn't say Aggie is based on my kids she's she's um she's different in in some ways but some of the earnestness some of the 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 things she notices or the way she responds to situations her occasional surliness but also sweetness is definitely based in my own experience of having had <laughs> tween 
girls. So, um, yeah, I, I really, I, I loved writing that and it, it does have a, I, I'm happy that people are responding to that relationship because it, um, between Kathleen and her daughter, because it does have a, it's close to my heart for sure. Yeah, no, I, I loved that. Well, you know, I'm curious if there are, so first as you're writing, I always think it's interesting if people, um, like what, pe- uh, what authors reading lives are like when they're writing, if you're able to really sink into other books. And I guess sort of along with that, are there any books you've been reading lately that you'd want to recommend? Yeah, I I am able to sink into books while I'm while I'm writing. And I know some people avoid reading fiction while they're writing fiction or or reverse, but I don't that doesn't seem to be an issue. Um, Although occasionally I'll pick up a a book off the shelf and be like, how how do we do that? How do I do this again? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But right now I've been on a kick of reading sort of uh, literary or psychological thrillers. Um, I, I find them just fun and escapist. So I read The Push by Ashley Audrain recently, and I actually I listened to it, and that was great. Um, it's about, it's sort of along the lines of that book, uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin, uh, about a mother who suspects that her child that is, um, I don't want to say evil, but maybe a sociopath, but it also is about her own conflicted relationship with herself as a mother and she doubts her ability to be a good mother or to bond. That was really good. Um, I also read uh, The River at Night by Erica Forensic, and she's a, a Boston area writer who was totally not on my radar. And then I, I met her at a party and she was telling me about her work. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to read your work. So <gasps> that was really fun. Do you know her? You know, it's funny. So she, I had seen her girl, The Girl on Ice. Yes, book. that was the most um, Yeah. I've got to start reading her books. I have this funny, like, anecdote with her where I was still at a public library or had just started at a public library right when COVID hit. And she was supposed to come speak. And I was so ex- I was going to be helping, like, host it. And I was so excited to see her and get to hear about the book. And that was the night that, like, everything shut down. Aww. Like, we canceled the event. Like, the library was closing. But, like, it never happened. And I never met her or anything but I'm like oh, I gotta get um her books read and just add her to my list because I feel like she's like an author that got away <laughs> yeah yeah right well definitely check out her work I really I really enjoyed um the river at night that's that's the only one I've read so far but I will I will be checking out others um, yeah so. um well are you able to share anything about what you're working on next uh well it's very much um mostly still in my head it's in what I'd call the the larval stage it's just like a little pale wiggly thing wriggling around in my brain um it it takes place at a um on like a sort of a coastal Massachusetts town that is devastated by a huge hurricane and twin sisters who sort of need to um, twin sisters who hate each other. I mean, obviously I've got twins. They don't hate each other, but I'm drawing some inspiration (laughs) from the complexities of a twin relationship with these grown sisters who have to get over their differences to figure out how to, how to save their family home and, and rejuvenate the town. And it, again, there's, humorous elements and satire. Maybe it's not quite as over the top as, as a society of shame, but um, I'm having fun so far. And of course, what, you know, the description I just gave could completely change 
from if and when the book ever comes to life. <laughs> well, living in a coastal Massachusetts town myself, I hope the setting stays the same because it's oh, like good. fun to read a similar setting. Maybe um, I'll, I'll uh, pick your brain for research if I need it. <laughs> no, no, that sounds really great though. Are you shoot, are you, um, do you have like a, um, like a publication date? Do you think it'll be like next it's, spring? Oh no. I mean, it's, it's not even written yet. I mean, it's barely written and I, you know, I, I hope my publisher will, will publish it. I don't have a deal though yet. Um, so it could, it could depend on how well the society of shame does. So everybody buy it, read it. Yes. Everybody buy it. Well, I'm right. like, when do I get to read the next one? So it's yeah, like, it's, it's, update. Um, I'm going to estimate three years. How's that? That's there we goal. go. Yeah, there we go. Um, no, I love the Society of Shame. And actually, I meant to ask too: Is there? I would imagine there's an audiobook version, right? There is. Yes, you can. Oh, I bet that's a really great way to to read it too. I've heard people like it. Yeah, I've only listened to little smidges of it. I think, like a lot of authors, I find it hard to listen to the audiobook because I don't know. It, it's just such a different experience. Um, but I think she does a great job in uh, the the narrator, and she does some very funny voices for the different characters that I did hear. So I think, yeah, I think it's an engaging experience. It's different, though. You know, I, I think I do both audiobooks and real books reading, um, and it is it's a slightly different experience. But um, I think yeah. hopefully it's an equally fun one. Oh yeah, I could see it being really fun for like a summer road trip drive or something. Yeah. Some these characters, um, yes, I really, think so. yeah, yeah. Well, I really hope that listeners go pick up The Society of Shame. Um, It's such a fun read and so funny. And um, just thank you for taking the time to come on, Jane. It was really nice getting to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much. This was great. I really appreciate it. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.